that, but my dad obviously has seen that. He's there every single one. Yeah, he, he loves it. He live he lives rallying, and he's always asking. He knows more behind the scenes stuff than I do, and I'm there. He's, he'll, he'll send me a text midweek saying, "Oh, have you just seen who's moved where and who's been testing where and that someone's been driving on a cart track?" And they're like, oh, "What?" what? <laughs> so he's a total fan then. Yeah, yeah, total fanboy. At Christmas when we are talking about. Uh cars all the time and and uh, one time my mother said okay no motorsport tonight at Christmas and I can tell you uh, it got so quiet on the on the dinner table so my mother said okay forget it this is boring you know <laughs> come on and then it was full throttle again welcome to WRC backstories our exclusive world rally championship podcast presented by Bex Williams Welcome along everyone, we are back in full effect here at Backstories HQ. I hope you're doing well wherever you are around the world. This year is truly flying by and we are now ticking off the rallies as the countdown begins towards the end of the season. Huge fights are still to be had of course, as all our championships head towards their conclusion. In this episode, we switch again to the co-driver's seat. And for this particular co-driver, it's a very well-used seat. Dan Barrett has had a busy career spanning 20 years. Almost 270 rally starts, 137 of them within WRC. From events at home in the UK to America, China and the Middle East, his passport and pace note pencil have been well-worn. Currently, he's calling notes in his famous calming Lancastrian tones for Takamoto Katsuta as part of Toyota Gazoo Racing, recently sealing second overall at Rally Kenya, the first ever podium for Taka and the eighth for Barrett. I've been longing to chat to Dan about his career since we began this podcast series, and his story certainly doesn't disappoint. Shall we get underway? given him the big build-up and I'm really delighted to say now we can cross out to the Isle of Mull in Scotland. It doesn't get more beautiful than that place, let me tell you, and chat to Dan Barrett. Morning to you, Dan. How are you doing? Good morning. Yeah, very well, thank you. Very well. The Isle of Mull. I, I have to, I love that island and I've been there for the rally a couple of times now and you live there. Wow. What a place to live. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's fantastic. It was actually the the rallying really that probably brought us here in the first place. I used to come here uh, as a child, really, ever ever since I was like in the in the in the pushchair as a, as a kid. <laughs> My mum and dad used to take me here, so we came for many many years on holidays and etc cetera, etc. Cetera, and we came for the rally, and then we sort of like met quite a few people, peer friends, and that over the you know a lot of years. And we decided that we'd try a different way of life and a different place to to live. So we just took the plunge, and we're here. You probably got your own little private boat to get you back and forth to the mainland now to get on your flights to go to rallies, right? Because it's well, quite it difficult can, to get a, there. A, a kayak, basically. <laughs> <That's> my, <laughs> private, private boat sounds quite quite flash, so it's more, more like a kayak. Oh, well, I'm really pleased that you, you've said yes to doing this podcast and we've been kind of lining you up for weeks. And unfortunately, and fortunately at the same time, now is the perfect time to chat to you because you are at home. You're not going to be competing next week in Belgium because you're still recovering after the, the incident in Estonia where you hurt your back. So first and foremost, how is the back doing? Are you on the mend? 
Yeah, I'm on the mend. It's to be honest, it's it's definitely on the mend. You know, I've made quite good progress. I think in the last sort of seven days, uh, it, it's not a hundred percent right. Uh, you know, may, may, maybe maybe we're just a week too soon. It's quite a big risk, obviously, to go back if I'm not a hundred percent confident to, to to go back. So, uh, time will time for sure will be will be will be a healer if you know what I mean. And I think. Yeah. For sure, for sure, by the time we get to Greece in early September, I'll be absolutely fine to, you know, to come back again. Yeah, perfect. Good. Well, we're looking forward to seeing you back, and we'll definitely miss the dulcet tones next week <laughs> on All Live for sure. Uh, but the most important thing is that you're on the mend. Um, now, I I want to know a lot more about you, Mr. Barrett. It feels like you have been around forever and ever and ever. And when I've looked back at your um, your stats and how many rallies you've done and which rallies you've competed in, you actually have been around forever. <laughs> I'm amazed <laughs> by how much you have actually done. It feels like you've competed in almost every single championship there is out there and you've sat alongside some great names over the years. What a career you've had so far and it's still going. Yeah, no, it's, it, it, to be honest, it's been really good. I think, uh, I never really set out to probably still be here in over 20 years time from when I first started. It was just purely like a, a bit of fun at the weekends, really, to be honest, to, to do when I first sort of started. But, you know, you know, I only I've only looked back recently, actually, at some of the stats myself, because I'm not overly, you know, in, into all that. And I sat, kind of looked back and I thought, yeah, yeah, it's but, you know, I'm pretty satisfied, to be honest, with the career and how long I've been here. And, you know, we've had some good success and you know, many, 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 you know, unbelievable experiences in many different parts of the world. So, you know, I'm very, very grateful, to be honest, for the for the last sort of 20, 20 years. And, you know, I hope it's not not finished yet, if you know what I mean. I hope there's oh, still a few no. more years left. <laughs> Definitely not finished yet. You still got a long way to go. Um, OK, so we're going to we're going to go back to the kind of the early years of Dan Barrett and find out about you when you were younger. But before we do that, um, I would like you to describe your character for me, describe yourself using only three words. We ask everyone this, so you're not the first. Three words uh, to describe Mr. Dan Barrett. Organised. Uh, grumpy. Uh, pretty difficult, I don't know. Uh, We'll, we'll settle with two to start with. I'll come back to you. <laughs> we'll come back at the end for the third. Grumpy. Grumpy. You know, my, fa my, my family would say that anyway. My family would say that for sure. <laughs> but no. Uh, yeah, organised, obviously, for the jobs, the, the, the big thing, really. And, you know, I like, I like to think I'm quite relaxed, generally, in, in most forms of life. But maybe the family don't quite agree. You have to be organised with your job, though, yeah, don't you? Yeah, I mean, my goodness, yeah. it, it's, I honestly, it's always hats off to the co-drivers. I literally do not know how you do it because there's so much going on for you guys. It's not, it's not a case of just sitting there reading notes. You are the secretary in the car. You are the psychological coach in the car. You're, you're so much and having to, a, a having to check people in on time I would never be able to do that correctly <laughs> as just a basic or read notes while moving in a car I can barely read a map while moving in a car or a magazine forget it I'll be throwing up so yeah I honestly don't know how you guys do it but how on earth did you decide 
that co-driving was was going to be something that you would do was was there motorsport within the family Dan when you were yeah, young yeah 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 motorsport was in the family definitely uh you know I only found this out really to be honest in in when I sort of like grew up a little bit but my grandfather actually did I think like Monte Carlo rally as a as a navigator wow. in the in the sixties and he did a few Lombard RAC rallies and you know these sort of things but we never really I didn't really know he was that involved to be honest in in that sort of thing and then my dad had obviously taken the you know the interest in motorsport as well so from quite a young age I think he sort of was involved in motorsport at, at like a, a college sort of level and then ended up. Uh, co-driving himself so I think it was just all my childhood from as early as I can remember we I used to get taken out you know with my younger brother in the push chair watching the, the rallies and my dad would be competing as well and old night rallies that used to happen in the 80s in the UK we used to I remember being dragged down to like midnight at night with my mum to go and watch my dad and the, this sort of thing so I suppose really it were inevitable really that I was probably going to have some kind of interest in it as, as I kind of grew up so I think that's really how it how it all started, and you know, memory memories of sort of like going to watch the old Lombard RAC rally in Grisdale in the Lake District. I used to get a, a day off school on a Tuesday because I think the rally used to run from uh, a Sunday to a Wednesday, possibly, yeah. and they used to go to Grisdale on Monday or Tuesday. And we always used to get a day off every year, which was like a really big thing. So I think go, watching things like that, I remember a lot of like the famous names that you know, I've been lucky to meet, if you know what I mean, in the last sort of 20 years, we're doing those rallies. So I think that's probably gave me the the fire to maybe have a go one day when I was kind of old enough, really. Well, so you mentioned your granddad there competing in the Monte Carlo rally. I mean, if you're going to pick a rally to compete at, wow, that's the one. What, yeah. Who was he sat alongside? What car were they in? To me, I'm not sure. I think some, my dad will probably ridicule me for this. I think it was some sort of like Austin, but I really couldn't tell you, to be honest. But it was when the, the rally used to start from all different start venues. So yeah. I think they, they would have either started in London or Glasgow or possibly Bath or something like that. And you would actually have to drive to the south of France before, let's say, the real rally actually even even started. Wow, that's quite incredible, isn't it? I love yeah, kind yeah. of things. And you found that out quite, like like you say, a little bit kind of later on. Yeah, know? later on, because yeah, because rallying was talked about, you know, as a, as a kid, and I used to talk to my granddad about rallying and things, but he never mentioned things like that. So it was only it was only kind of later on, probably subsequently since he passed away, you know, that we kind of started to talk about things like that. Wow, God, I would have yeah. been shouting it from the rooftops if I'd competed <laughs> at the Monte Carlo Rally. Well, that's so interesting, isn't it? So when you were growing up, when you were you were a kid in school, were you, you know, were you very scholarly? Were you uh, intelligent no. child, Dan, or were you a pain no. in the butt? I, th- I think probably a lot of people that have maybe into rallying will probably say the same I guess you know school was just like a pastime that you had to go to because your mum and dad told you had to go you know I, I went to school no problem I was you know I had reasonable sort of results in exams when, when I left school but it was something that I wasn't particularly that interested in I was very into like sport and that when I was a, a kid so sport was like the big thing football and that sort of thing so really it was just waiting until 16 until I could kind of get out of there and do and do something else and what was the something else in your mind that you wanted to do anything but not, be at school yeah anything but be at school not not a not a co-driver to be honest I actually randomly I think maybe about 13 or 14 wanted to work in the bank <laughs> which which is 
I could never see myself there now ever. So I don't, I don't know where that thought came from. So I did the work experience and everything from school where you go out for a few weeks and, and, and work in a, in a business at like 15. I went to the bank there and that was really as far as it went. I just kind of left school, did my exams, passed and that was really it really. So what, find something else to do. What, what happened next for you then after school? I, I, had, I had a few, a few jobs really when I was 16, you know, passed from one job to another after within like 12 months. And I eventually started to work maybe about 18 months after I left school, I started to work for a company called Mini Sports, who were very local to where, uh, where I was from. Uh, they dealt in the, the mini cars and rallying and racing and things like that. So I just started to work there. It, initially, when I first went, I, would, I was actually painting the, a new factory that they had. So that's okay. how I start, started to go there. And I, I ended up staying there on and off for more than 10 years. Wow. So, yeah. so, so that was the kind of the first sort of route into to, to motorsports for you. Yeah. You know, other than the, the family connection, obviously. Yeah, um, I'd, I'd done a... Sorry. Go on. I'd done, done a few, you, you, a few sort of like rallies in when I was 16 before I went to mini sport, but probably when I went there was the time where, you know, rallying was part of the company and everybody in the company was rallying. So then I started to meet other people in rallying. So it probably, that was a big catalyst really, I think in really getting involved in it. And when you were doing, you know, the rallies, when you were, you were young like that at 16, I mean, are we talking, you know, we, was there ever a thought in your mind that you wanted to actually be behind the wheel or was it always in the co-driving seat? Yeah, I never, you know, because I, I obviously had no, I obviously had no money at sort of 16 or 17. I can't even remember. I was maybe earning like 80, 90 pounds a week or something mm. like that. So that the thought of, you know, the thought of driving would never, never cross my mind really because I just had no money. The only way to be involved was through co-driving so I could get the entertainment of the rallying through that at a lot cheaper price than actually driving. Yeah, definitely. But it, it takes a certain it, it takes a special person to be to be a co-driver, Dan. Everyone talks about, you know, drivers having, you know, the, a natural talent you know, behind the wheel. And, and there are only, you know, certain certain number of people who have that natural talent. But for me, I believe that it takes a very special person to be able to to be a co-driver as well. You, you have to have so many different strong elements uh, with, within your brain and within your character to be able to to do that and you seem exceptionally calm as well uh, you know in your seat which you which you have to be did you always know that you know you had those those elements to be able to to do that role effectively uh I think I, I had a I had a good idea quite early on probably before I even did my first rally because we used to you know practice the pace notes when I was like 14 or 15 I used to sit in the back of the car with my dad so I had a reasonable idea that I could probably make quite a, a good do just from a fun level yeah uh, to be able to read the pace notes but I had no obviously no real idea what becoming a a real core professional core driver would actually entail years down the line if you know what I mean I think I just kind of adapted to the situation over quite a lot of years and and I've definitely become a better core driver as time's gone on just because I think the experience that you gain and situations that you that you that you put in over over the years so you're in mini sports and it starts to get a bit more serious then in terms of you know pursuing your actual career how how does the change happen from just working to actually working at being a co-driver 
How does yeah, that change well, come about? I, I think I've said to many young core drivers, uh, actually, since this sort of happened to me, I think you just need a little bit of luck somewhere in your life that a circumstance comes along and your fortune sort of change. And it was purely, purely just for fun. And I was starting to get to a reasonably okay level where I was quite competent, let's say, for five years, maybe from 16 up to, say, 21. Mm-hmm. And then through, through a guy through my local motor club was working at the time doing some work with David Higgins down at the Forest Rally School experience that they used to have in uh, in Wales. And at that time, David was rallying in the UK, like British Championship level, and also started to do some rallies in America. But he'd been through, you know, a few core driver circumstances had changed and he ended up where he changed a few core drivers over like 18 months. So he wanted to try and get like a young core driver mm. that he could kind of mould into the core driver that, he wanted, let's say, rather than somebody coming with like preconceived ideas of co-driving and maybe not quite working out. So the guy that I knew for somehow managed to sell the idea that Dan Barrett was the guy. But really, I'd had absolutely no experience whatsoever that warranted going to that level. So we arranged a meeting. I went down to to Wales. Uh, He had a, a few Mark II escorts that they had in the forest. And I was very shy. I didn't really say much. The guy did all the talking. I just said, yes, I can co-drive. And that was basically about it. We, we, we sat in the, the escort, made some pace notes, went around the track a few times. And he said, okay, then let's go. We can go. There's a rally in two weeks if you want to go. I was like, okay. <laughs> so what, that's really, how it, that really was, how it started. What was that first rally that you did together then? Was that the Pirelli? We did the Pirelli, yeah. I think it was in 2002 two I think uh in a group N Subaru and I think I'm not sure we were leading the rally but maybe we were second possibly uh but you know we're surrounded by world rally cars and some good drivers you know of that era if you know what I mean so the 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 level was something way beyond that I'd ever experienced before and uh yeah we retired I think on the rally with a blown turbo I think in the end but then I must have done a decent job because he said how are you doing on what you're doing on Tuesday and I'm like, oh, well, going back to work. He said, oh, well, there's a rally next week in America. Are you coming? So we went to America. I mean, this is, it's its quite an incredible story, isn't it? Because there you are, as you say, you've only got like a, a few years of experience behind behind, behind the notes, effectively. Yeah. And, and, and there you are heading off to America. And that was a really yeah. successful rally for you. You headed out to yeah. America and, and you won. Yeah, the, we won the first rally, and I suppose you could say the, the rest is history. You know, I learned an awful lot in that two years that I spent, eventually spent two years there in America with David, and I think we won maybe eight or nine rallies or something and the championship in the second year. And, you know, I, I, that's where I really learned to be a core driver, not just to be a navigator for a bit of fun at the weekend. So, you know, I'm kind of eternally grateful, really, to be honest, for David. He gave me that chance. He didn't have to give me that chance. You know, there were plenty of other people that, he could have taken let's say mm. you know but but he taught me how to be a co-driver so you know I hats off to him because you know he helped an awful lot in the in the beginning yeah and it, obviously you know it, you were great at your job otherwise you wouldn't have stayed alongside him for those years and achieved that success but as you mentioned at the start there there's got to be a little bit of luck 
every time, yeah. isn't there? You know, there, yeah. there's always an element of luck somewhere that, that comes in, but it, it's getting the opportunity, Dan, isn't it? And I think that's, you know, for people listening who, who are desperate to be in the co-driving seat or in the driving seat, sometimes it is just getting that opportunity and people having a little bit of faith in what you can do that will, yeah. will help you on your way. Yeah, definitely. You know, I've said to many, many sort of co-drivers that have asked me about this sort of situation before, and I've just said, you know, never never say no to anything. Always say yes, even if you're not 100% sure you've got the ability to do it. You know, the worst thing that can happen is it doesn't work out and you do something else. But, you know, don't ever turn an opportunity down because those opportunities will only ever come once in a lifetime, basically. Yeah, yeah, of course they will. So you moved then on from 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 David Higgins, and we're looking now. I think at, well, you were you were with him for a couple of years, weren't you? Two thousand two, two thousand and three. Yeah. That partnership. Yeah, I think it was another yeah part of two thousand four around two thousand five. So quite quite a few you know three or four years in total. Oh yeah, of course yeah afterwards as well. So two thousand and three then was a bit of a different year. No, two thousand and four. Sorry, was a bit yeah of a, a bit of an in, in, indifferent year. We we'd effectively the, the the budget from america had, had dried up the program had ended we didn't we didn't have a, a drive i'd started to do a few national rallies back in the uk uh david had put a brc program together you know on a shoestring really rally by rally and by mid-season i kind of went back with him and we finished off the season he actually won the british championship in 2004 but i'd missed the first rally so i right. didn't actually win the code i didn't actually win the core drivers <sighs> So, but okay, that's just just the way it is. But yeah, we ended up we ended up doing that year, and then in two thousand and five, we did the BRC and a few other things as well. And then you know the partnership actually ended at the end of two thousand and five. You know, in those early years, obviously David had he kind of taught you a lot, and as you said, you know, helped you to kind of mould as as a co-driver. But were you getting advice from from other people that you were meeting because you were mixing in some really great circles? then with successful co-drivers around you were you picking up you know I don't know it's hard to kind of put into words but tidbits of kind of information on how to do your job yeah, better yeah I think I think so I think just naturally naturally you do and, and even now you know you, you're still you're still learning all the time now you know people were you know as far back as sort of like 2006 when I first started to do like WRC rallies that you know somebody like Chris Patterson for argument's sake who I'm good friends with now still all these years later you know he was there doing the rallies and he had a lot more experience than me mm. so he was there to help and advise and you know pe people like him and you know latterly Phil Mills and you know was involved in the academy for core drivers in the UK so Robert Reed was there you know there was quite a lot of people you know that were there to to help out if you know what I mean in the early years that were always if you were willing to ask the questions you'd always get the, the right kind of answer yeah now you kind of when you headed into to the WRC I, I seem to remember you popping up alongside lots of you know different people I, I'd see you see you with with Mark Higgins then it'd be Fumio Nutahara you, you kind of jumping around initially yeah. it, it seemed yeah. like oh the Dan is here oh Dan's there now yeah, it, yeah. It, lots of different people you sat alongside that must have been quite difficult for you because you well for, and for the driver as well because you know when you're in and out with different people you you've got to get used to their different personalities their quirks traits the way their character is yeah, no, definitely. That that sort of time, probably between 2006 and, say, 2008, was probably sort of the hardest period, really, because I'd kind of made the transition a little bit before to try and start doing the co-driving as, as a job, but then I kind of had to go back to work because, 
you know, it wasn't possible to continue. So by that sort of time, I was mixing different drivers to try and earn a few a few bits of money with different mm. drivers in different places. But I was also working as well when I could. So, you know, the juggling of all that was difficult. And like you say, to uh, to have all the different drivers that have their own ways, it was hot and different styles of pace notes, et cetera. It was difficult. And I think ultimately I got to the point in 2008, maybe I think where I'd sort of said, you know, this has to stop. I have to either decide to try and get a driver for one year and just the one driver or I need to maybe take a step back and concentrate more on work because none of the situations were working. It was just too much for, for everything. And, the, you know, there were, you know, looking back at the stats for you, there were a lot of rallies during that time. So you're away from, from home for a good bit as well. What were the family thinking at that point with you kind of here, there and everywhere? Because it's, it's difficult to have a life at home when you, you don't know where you're going to be next around the world, yeah. I guess. Yeah, yeah. No, probably, probably looking back, it was probably quite difficult really because we're trying to like... You know, my wife and I were trying to get our, we got our first house and things about that sort of time. And, you know, we, we didn't have a lot of money at all. You know, she'd only just not long finished university and, you know, had started to work and everything. And yeah, it was difficult probably looking back. You kind of forget really probably how difficult it actually was. But ultimately we kind of worked a path through it and used to, you know, everyone was used to be me, me being away anyway from home because it, it had been going on for a few years by that point yeah. anyway. So you know, we just got to the end of that period, really. And then it started to move on to, you know, let's say not better things, but let's say slightly easier situations to manage. Yeah, I suppose that more consistency started to come in the partnership with Conrad Rettenbach because you were yeah, yeah. with him for, for a good season there. You you knew what was happening. You were doing, the, you know, the World Championship and it was going to be a, a full programme for that year. And that must have been a bit of a you know, a great thing to look forward to, but also a relief in that sense that, you know, the path is for, for your year is decided. Yeah, exactly. I knew what I was doing from January to December. You know, I didn't have to worry about trying to find any any other work, which had obviously been quite a headache before to try and mix mix everything together. And, you know, from a, from a competing point of view, it was the first time that I'd done the full season, you know, in, in that time, uh, you know, a, to a top level car. So it, w it was quite a, quite a season really to be honest you know I'd worked with Citroen for the first time and you know a proper manufacturer in, involved in a manufacturer team which again is a completely different experience to to being in a privateer team so mm. you know that year I probably learned as much that year for example as I did when I first went with David in 2002. Wow. You know, it was a bit as, as big a learning curve yeah. Yeah I mean what was it like to be part of that in, in in terms of kind of the manufacturer element of it because everything kind of goes up a level doesn't it and you, you start to get maybe looked after a bit more in ways that you weren't before like logistic wise you don't have to sort things out for yourself or you don't have to worry about too many of the little ways of getting to events from events and when you're at events people are kind of yeah. taking care of that for you. Yeah, exactly. Now, to be honest, now it's just become like part and parcel of like normality, let's say. But then it was it was a shot, yeah, because I've been used to doing, let's say, a lot of things myself. And all of a sudden, a lot of these things were taken care of. And the only thing I really had to concentrate on was myself and the and the driver and actually doing the job. So ultimately, I think you end up doing a better job because you've not been yeah. pulled in many different directions. So, so you know, that that's a, a good a good step forward. But I think you also, as a as a co-driver you need the experience of managing things yourself in previous years to give you the the learning to 
to move forward. So it's a step that I don't think you can really miss out on managing yeah. things yourself because I think it does help long-term organisational skills, let's say. Yeah, definitely, definitely it does. I'm just going to take you back to Fumio Nutahara because that's where I really kind of met you, I would say, yeah, yeah, was yeah. when he was competing and we didn't really, I, I can't remember his level of English being very good. So I don't remember interviewing him a lot. I would always come to you to interview you in the media zone. Now remind me of Fumio's level of English. And if it wasn't that great, how did you cope? Yeah, it was quite basic and still is quite basic. I saw him two years ago in 2019 when I was over in Japan and uh, yeah, it's, it's still the same level as it was. So uh it, it was a challenge, definitely, and he, and he was the first foreign driver that I actually worked with. Right. So, it, yeah, that was quite an experience. I remember we went to the first rally that I did with him. We went to Monte Carlo, which obviously is not an easy rally to start. I'd, ne- I'd never met the guy before. I turned up in, in Nice, and I think we must have met at the airport or something, and then we went to sort of like make some uh, pace note practice like on the, on the normal roads before the recce started. Yeah. And... I was making the pace notes and then he started coming out with all these like words and I was like, ah, okay, what's this? So he was mixing English and Japanese, but obviously I didn't speak a word of Japanese. So we basically had to, we had to stop and I had to try and explain to him in, cause he didn't understand English that well, that you can't use these Japanese words because I don't know what they mean. <laughs> so we need to find an English solution. And to be honest, we, the, we work really well together because yeah. it was so, it, because it was so basic. Yeah. It was actually quite. It was actually quite simple. Yeah, because <laughs> well, there, 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 there couldn't be conversation, so it had to be simple. <laughs> I just, I vividly remember kind of wandering through media zones when we were doing the radio back then, and you know, you guys would would come in, and I'd see Fumio, and I'd be like, right, I know. I'm not going to be able to get, yeah, you know, how yeah. the stage has gone from it. it would always be straight to you. We had many, many conversations over the years in media zones, that's for sure. Uh, but you have been with, as you mentioned before, like a mix of drivers um, over the years. And <laughs> I mean, do, are you still in contact with all of them now? Do you, you know, send Christmas cards or, yeah, or not? <laughs> most, yeah, most people, it's quite it's quite hard really because you do meet so many people over the years and you know you do make really good friends and I think everyone would agree with this you make really good friends in certain teams and then your pathway is just going opposite directions and they live in another part of the world and it, and it is quite hard to to sort of keep in contact and you know it's good to kind of bump into people you know once every year that you that you know and just catch up and everything and but it's a, it's a shame really that you that it's not just as easy to keep keeping contact with people because that's probably one thing that I'd like to do eventually when everything stops is to you know maybe go and visit a few people and mm. that I haven't seen for a long time you know and, and sort of catch up and talk about old stories like like, like you do. <laughs> I want to know when the um, the busy came into it because there's a lot of British co-drivers and a lot of them <laughs> always t- you know when we when we kind of chat on Twitter and you see tweets it's always hashtag busy spelt b-i-z-y and it's come from you the way the way you say busy and the fact that it's busy it's busy it's busy it's busy it's busy (laughs) where has that come from and why is it stuck so many years i'm not overly sure i think i must have subconsciously used that word quite a lot in conversation (laughs) with other core drivers primarily Seb Marshall, Stuart Loudon, Scott Martin. And I think they've obviously picked up on this. And 
it was almost like a joke behind my back, really, for, for quite a few years, I think, that I didn't really know anything about. And then I think we'd come to maybe the mole rally or something, and one night we were all drinking, and this busy came out. And it turns out that this busy had been a joke for quite a long time, and I knew nothing about it. So it kind of... It kind of came out. It kind of came out from there. I think. I think that's the, what what happened. To be honest. So yeah. Yeah. It's still to this day. It is still mentioned on Twitter. And yeah. Yeah. yeah Seb Marshall tries to do an, a, an impression of you, but he fails because he's from the wrong yeah. part of the country. Well, exactly. He, try, he tries to be up north, just Seb, but really, he's, he's not really from up north. He just he just pretends. <laughs> oh, oh that's, that's, that's gonna hurt that's gonna hurt <laughs> talk to me about 2010 because it was a year with Toshi Arai that yeah. you sat alongside him and obviously Toshi had huge experience over the years so you're, you're with a, a very experienced driver there and a very headstrong driver as well Toshi knew what he wanted didn't he and you know he, he was a very direct guy how did that yeah. relationship go with him yeah pro- probably being honest, probably the most difficult relationship driver, core driver I've ever, I've ever had, to be honest. Not that there's any particular issue now moving forward, but it was hard. You know, there was quite a lot of problems with the car during the year. You know, mm. Toshi, like you say, is very headstrong. He's got his own ways to do it. And it was just difficult. It was a, di- a, dif- a difficult year. We just had a, you know, we'd, my son had just been born in that year as well. So maybe my sort of like mind wasn't just quite where it should be at times because there was a lot going on. So it was a hard year. And, you know, ultimately his programming WRC finished then in 2010 and he hasn't been back since. But I would don't think I would have gone back the year after anyway. You know, I just thought yeah. it was, you know, sometimes things don't just quite work out the way you, you, you wanted it to. We, we saw the year out. Everything was fine. You know, we had, I think, a couple of good results. But, you know, I moved on from that and, you know, decided to go in a, in a different direction. How, I mean, you mentioned it, you, you saw the year out together and obviously things things were difficult. But mentally, how do you get yourself through events when things aren't aren't going right and the two of you aren't, aren't gelling together for whatever reason, as you mentioned, yeah, the, yeah. the car wasn't, yeah, wasn't so, so great. And yeah. it does happen. And we, you know, we do see it with, with many partnerships. Sometimes it just doesn't work for whatever reason, but mentally, how do you get yourself through that? Because you yeah. are putting yourself, aren't you? Every time you go out on the stage, you're putting yourself in, in quite a situation where, where you're risking everything and Toshi's risking everything as well. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. I think I think inside the car, you know, I, I don't remember there really being any issue inside the car. You know, I think the actual job inside the car was, was fine, you know, yeah. pace notes, et cetera, work, worked okay. And, you know, I think he was professional enough that he knew he had to do a job and, 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 so, and so did I. You know, maybe I've given the wrong perception. It wasn't a, a horrendous year, but there was just difficult times yeah. because the, the car broke quite a lot. We had a few crashes. You know, the results were hard to come by for yeah. him also. So he was frustrated because things were happening to the car, etc. And it was just difficult. I'm sure it was difficult for him as well. And I think you just have to get through the rallies and be as positive as you can going into the next one and hope that your luck changed. It didn't in that year, but you just have to keep hoping it does. I, I love the, the the move on from that though, from 2010. Obviously, as you say, you know, he he didn't continue on, and that partnership came to a natural end. Um, but then you jump alongside Alistair Fisher, 
um, yeah. who, you know, this is back in what, two, 2011. So you're still a pretty yeah. young guy at the time. And you jump into many events, but you enter the WRC Academy, which is effectively the junior championship within yeah, the WRC. Yeah, yeah. And you'd had quite a bit of experience, obviously, of the upper level in WRC. And now that's quite a change. And you're alongside a driver who's who's very much still learning. I mean, God, Ali was probably the most baby-faced driver I ever remember competing. What was yeah, that like? Yeah. Yeah, well, I, th I think at the end of the 2010 with Toshi, I'd had a bit of a, you know, I've spoken to a few people. I think the sport was maybe, not the top level of sport, but the maybe support series were in a bit of a transition, maybe going away from Group N, maybe moving into Super 2000, not so far away from that. And there, there wasn't so much happening, let's say, for British core drivers in within the WRC and I kind of I just thought you know I've been through the whole cycle of an experienced driver and this and that and I kind of thought you know maybe to reinvent myself and to give myself a bit of you know enthusiasm to sort of continue if you know what I mean at that time was to maybe try and find somebody that was at the opposite end of the sport mm. with a little less experience and let's see if the fortunes could change and we could try and do something completely different so I met up with him and, you know, we, we agreed to go for the year. And to be honest, that first year was probably, I fell, I fell back in love with rallying really, to be honest, because I'd maybe had a few not fantastic years results wise. And I think just the level of competition, even though the cars were so, not so slow, but relatively slow compared to what I've been used to, but the level of competition was very high. You know, there's some really good guys you were fighting for, a few seconds on every single stage and you know if you won a junior rally in those first two seasons well you only have to look at the person that won first year Craig and Elvin won the second year you know they've both gone on now to still be in the sport 10 years later right at the top so the level was very very high yeah. so I really got back into it and really fell back in love with the whole competition side of rallying let's say it's such it's such an interesting thing to hear because you know the the, the support categories and and in particular the junior category, you know back back then obviously known as the academy, but then that that did start to change to introduce more. Ah, oh, well, I remember doing media training with with the guys. I remember Colin McMaster coming in and telling them you know how to pose for photographs, and there was yeah. so much that kind of went in behind the scenes as well as the competition itself, but to help the kind of the young drivers. To, to, to be better at, at every element in the rally because of course the main thing is is being quick behind the wheel but there are so many different factors with regards to to media and everything that you kind of had to to excel at from a from an early age really and I remember Ali being a really shy guy you know we'd, we'd interview him and he would wouldn't say much behind the microphone and what a difference, you know, 10 years has made now. You can't stop him talking now. It's very different. <laughs> but back then he was super shy. What was he like to work with though? Because I think, and I always felt a bit sorry for him in the sense that he always had a bit of a weight of expectation given, you know, the family history with Bertie Fisher. And there wasn't yeah. a journalist I, you know, I met that didn't ever bring it up in an interview with him. And it, yeah. you always felt that, you know, he could never be himself. He always had a fantastic link obviously to Bertie, but I always felt he had that expectation on his shoulders. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I think he probably did, and you know, maybe maybe ten years down the line, now he's, he's he's sort of completely different with the with the whole situation. I'm sure he's I'm sure he's changed that. But yeah, I think probably he did feel a bit of pressure at at that at that sort of time. But you know, 
talking about my time with Alistair, I did two years with him, you know, lovely family, lovely people, you know, we had some really good times and, you know, I really enjoyed the experience, you know, Alistair, lovely guy, you know, Mm. I really enjoyed, really enjoyed working with him, to be honest, he was, it, it was really good and, you know, a hell of a driver to be honest a really really good driver you know maybe the, just the the luck didn't quite fall our way in those first two years you know but we, we were as as fast as anybody in, yeah. the, in the championship you know we won a few rounds and ultimately we didn't win in his career in the WRC sort of like didn't go much further than that and obviously he's had success now recently back home in Ireland and and that but you know the the time that I spent with him for sure was a you know, a really good time and it enabled me then to meet a new set of people within rallying, which ultimately led to to things further down the line. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, and, you, you know, you moved on then and it was Elvin Evans next, pretty much. Yeah. In, in the, yeah, in the... pre- pretty much, yeah. Pretty much we, I obviously knew Elvin through the, the academy that it was then. Yeah. And we were, you know, big, big rivals, to be honest, you know, the only person that me and, Alistair really wanted to beat was Elvin because he was the the best guy and I I would whether he'd ever admit this I don't know but he probably wanted to beat us equally as much Mm. you know and we had some really good battles and things didn't quite go for us but you know that ultimately led me to get to know Elvin not a lot but a little bit in that first year to at least be in and around the circle with him when he was then looking for a core driver moving forward because Phil Pugh that he was with decided that he didn't want to continue in the future so Elvin was kind of had won the championship in 2012 but didn't have anybody to to move forward with yeah I I remember being surprised by by Phil's decision in a way because they'd you know they'd had such success that year they'd won the championship and you kind of thought and and knew that Elvin then had opportunity to move forward and and Phil just kind of said yeah I'm 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 done now that's it I'm done yeah I'm done uh, which is it's, yeah. it's such a bold and brave move, isn't it? At that point, knowing that maybe he could have had, I don't know, a good few years yes, more. Su- su- success, yeah. I think, you know, every, you know, I don't know Phil's reasoning, to be honest, behind it. But I, I guess, you know, he had, he had a relatively young family, a few kids, business that was going from strength to strength, I think. And I think just to try and have that and do maybe where Elvin was expected to go really in the future was probably just too much to take on. The you know, Elvin, something, something, something had to give. Yeah, something does. Yeah, and it, I mean, it, I love seeing Phil pop up as he does on on some international events, or whether we're rallying in in the UK and in Wales. I saw him um, a couple of years ago when we were oh, completely forgotten the name of the rally. Now that's really dreadful, isn't it? <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> it's always great to see Phil around about. But the Elvin years for you were were super interesting, and you know, you had. You know, the lows, the ultimate highs, with obviously the the WRC win. What was that entire experience like with Elvin and with M Sport? Yeah, no, fantastic. Um, you know, I haven't got a a bad thing to say about the whole experience. To be honest with Elvin, it was you know good. You know, yes, there was difficult times. You know, ultimately there was there's always going to be difficult times. But you know, we we learned together, I think in the, you know, especially in the beginning, you know, I, w- I was the person in the beginning with the more experience at the start, let's say, but I think obviously Elvin accelerated so fast in his learning process that we sort of like, he caught up, you, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Quite, quite fast. So we, you know, we had some great times, if you know what I mean. And, you know, 
yes, difficult times, but I think that's part and parcel of trying to get better at the, at the level and ultimately try and be at, at the top kind of where he is now. You're never going to have, uh, you know, things that without bumps in the road, let's say. Yeah, there, there is always going to be that that bump in the road. But, you know, when you join Elvin Evans, you, you join Gwyndaf Evans, you join Phil Mills, who's very much, you know, part of the Elvin Evans effort in, in yeah, terms of everything yeah. that goes on there. And, and Howard Davis as well. It's at the Welsh Mafia in extreme, yeah. Dan. <laughs> I am mean, amazed you've walked away from that completely unscathed. I'm sure there are some scars from, from, from being yeah. battered by the Welsh over the years. <laughs> but, you know, it's quite a, a tight-knit family you know, but Welsh kind of operation going on behind him. Yeah, no, very much the you know the a very close close knit family and you know close knit community as well. And I think you know Elvin just had some good people around him. You know, only a few people, but good people around him that had obviously his best interests for moving forward in the in the sport. You know, obviously his dad and, and Phil, like you mentioned. You know, and I was accepted into the <laughs> the inner circle of things, like say. Which I think for being a, a Lancastrian was quite uh, quite quite lucky, really. But you know, they they accepted me in, and uh, I think I would. I remember Howard Davis said to me, I think maybe after we'd won Rally GB, he's like, "Ah, you can be a Welshman for today, but you're still English." <laughs> <laughs> Classic. Talk to me about that win, Dan, because that was that was an a pretty incredible event, all in all you know, at the time to, to get that win on the board and everything that came with it that year in 2017, it was a really, really special time. Yeah, no, a good time. You know, the, the, D, the DMAC time was, you know, really good. We were, the, the performance was either really good or let's say not just as good. And we knew we had some really strong rallies during the year. And I think, to be honest, the performance level on the rallies that were strong were, were very, very good. You know, we had three or four rallies, I think, at least that were, you know, exceptionally strong. Finland as well, you know, which we'd, we hadn't particularly gone so, so well, let's say, up until that year and, you know, had any success there. And, you know, ultimately then we came away with second place, which, you know, is, is a real achievement on, on, on a rally like that. So we had every, every opportunity we had to go fast. We, you know, ultimately we should have probably won the rally in Argentina. So, you know, was it, was, it was a, a, a fantastic year. I was just going to mention Argentina because that was obviously second place and that it was the final stage thriller, wasn't it, on El Condor against Thierry Neuville that year. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And never, never, be, never been as, uh, let's say, upset. I think, yeah, I think I, I'm not ashamed to say upset, really, of a situation in rallying, to be honest, before. So that was, it was pretty hard to take. But I think you then come back stronger, I think, from something like that. And that makes you even more determined to, to move forward and, and have success, let's say. Yeah, I mean, I remember pre the rally, we'd gone out and we'd wreckied. And, you know, that that bridge where that little mistake had happened on that stage, we, we kind of, we were on that. Emmer and I were taking Indiana Jones yeah. pictures, as we called them at the time. We were like, <laughs> oh, you know, it's you know interesting entry into this bridge. You've got to get it right and rickety, blah, blah, blah. And then, as you know, we were watching the footage. That's where kind of the precious time in had gone. Give me a sense of what it was like in the car going into that stage before you'd even started, knowing, you know, the, the pressure on both your shoulders to get a your pace notes absolutely bang on. Elvin had to get the driving spot on. 
What was it like before you even started that final stage in Argentina? Yeah, well, to be honest, there's, pro- there's probably quite a lot that never really came out at the time. I can probably talk about this now because it's three or four years later, but there was actually a lot of things going, going, going on on that morning away from the actual final stage, you know, small technical issues with the car that actually really disrupted the, looking back, really disrupted the rhythm of that final morning. You know, I, I, I think it was as close as it was going into that final stage due to circumstances that had happened throughout the morning, basically. So I, I think it, it would and should have been a lot more comfortable, let's say, than that. Yeah. It just I... turned out that, you know, there was a lot of things going on that we both had to deal with in like three or four hours that, you know, that we, we, we overcame, let's say, but it was additional stresses that we didn't probably both need when obviously it would have been our first, both of us our first win. Now you mention that, I remember you leaving stage ends very quickly and not really talking uh, yeah, because yeah. you obviously had issues to deal with. Now, yeah, that's triggered my memory to that day. Uh, difficult times, but I mean, you still walked away with, with a podium there, but ultimately it could have been the win. And as you said, it's the, is it the most upset, the, the most kind of, not defeated, that's a horrible word to use, but the most upset then, let's say you've been over the years. In terms yeah, of a yeah, de- yeah, de- yeah. In terms of a result, no, definitely because we we were we were so close. I think you know we we maybe got our first podium there, maybe two two years previous to that. Mm. So it was a rally where we you know we knew we could kind of go well, and you know the tires were very good, the car was very good, and yeah, you know just to be so close, let's say, still leading going into the final stage with only El Condor to do. You know, we're still carrying small issues with the car. Uh, and really, all we had to do was, you know, he had to obviously uh, he had to go as fast as he as he could go, and you know, the the car just oversteered slightly too much in one of the slowest places in the whole world championship. Yeah. And really, really, that was it. Just clipped clipped the bridge. Probably lost a second, second and a half maximum, but it was just enough to it was enough. get the win. Yeah, it was yeah, enough yeah. because the margins was was so small. But then, you know, it all. In Finland, as you mentioned, that result, second overall in, in Finland that year. And at a rally like Finland, to, to be on the podium there is just, it's such an incredible thing. It's such an iconic event and it's such a, a slap-bang finish from start to finish because you've got to be flat yeah. out the whole way in Finland. There's no strategy about it. You've just got to have your foot to the floor. So to be on the podium at the end of the weekend in any position is is quite some feat. Yeah, no, Finland, you know, that stands out. You know, I think the... I don't know if Elvin would agree with this, you know, whether the, I, I thought that that rally was actually the best performance in over and above, maybe, maybe even rally GB because, you know, we'd had a bad first day in Finland. I don't think the package that we had was that suited. It rained, I think from memory and it was wet and it wasn't so good. The position was okay. We weren't so far behind, but then I think Saturday, you know, I think he had his strongest days rallying that he'd had up to that point in his career, if you know what I mean. The, yeah. the, the Saturday was very, very strong. He was fast, really fast on on every stage. And, you know, that put us into a position where we were still challenging, let's say, for not for the win, but for the podium going into the into the Sunday. Yeah. And, and then obviously what followed was eventually that year was that win in Wales, which, you know, everyone, you know, really remembers and... Uh, it, it's interesting to hear you say you, you feel that you know the performance was better in in Finland than than it was at Wales Rally GB. But for you on that final day, were, were there any nerves going into the final day, knowing that you know that win, that first WRC win, was in sight? 
Yeah, I think, to be honest, I think the whole weekend, really, because we were kind of, you know, I'm not saying from Elvin's side, because maybe maybe I hid it quite well, I don't know. But I think in, in, inside, yeah, probably nervous all weekend, because I think the expectation was was there from, from everybody. You know, mm. GB had grown, let's say, from a, a fan aspect in the couple of years since it had moved to, to North Wales. And obviously, Elvin's from North Wales. You know, he'd had good results that year. People expected the result. You know, yeah, we we knew that we knew the package we had was strong from like the pre-event test that we'd done. We knew we could, you know, we could kind of fight. So, I, th- I think really it was, I think think looking back, I think after the Friday, I think I was nervous as hell. Really after Friday, you know, Saturday, Sunday was we really just thought, yeah, you know, this could actually happen because it was comfortable. You know, it was kind of just the time, the time was there. We knew we knew we could do it pretty comfortably, really, to be honest. <laughs> I can't even begin to imagine what the feeling was like when you actually crossed that final flying finish and it was done and yeah. you can you can throw the notes and you've got your first win on the board after many many years of, of competition Dan that's such a huge thing yeah no ma- massive you know and I, I never envisaged you know look, talking back to what, what we've talked about already earlier you know I never envisaged being in that position within my rally and that I would ever do that so mm. uh you know, it was massive. I think from a personal point of view, even if I was lucky enough in the future to win the World Championship, I don't think it would, the feeling that I got from that first rally, it, it would be hard to beat it. Because yeah. I think the the, fir- the first time you do something that let's say you've worked at for 20 years and you've had lots and lots of up and downs and bumps in the road, you know, just to finally get it done to say I've actually won a WRC rally was something that I don't think really you could ever repeat let's say so was, I think we expect sorry go, I was just gonna ask what what was the family reaction to that yeah well you know Elvin's family were there at the finish line you know all my family were there you know my mum and dad my wife my son you know so yeah get I can probably get a lump in my throat now just thinking about it you know yeah it was good something that you know I'll never never forget to be honest never forget no, it's it. It was it was absolutely brilliant to watch it all weekend, and I remember being just emotional myself, kind of you know calling it as it as it was happening as he's crossing um, the flying finish. It's yeah, it's pretty amazing, pretty amazing. But in between that, something I kind of missed out was you did obviously have a year in two thousand and sixteen where you went from Elvin and then you went with Taka for the first time. So you were with Katsuta there before you came back in 2017 with Elvin. Yeah, yeah. Circumstances at at M Sport basically at the end of 2015 had led to effectively not a full programme in 2016. Uh, I felt I had no choice at the time really to to look for somewhere else to go to continue in the sport. And, you know, Toyota were building this programme for the junior guys for the future. Mm. Uh, you know, I'd met I'd met the people from Finland, and you know, they showed an interest in wanting me to go to try and help Taka start out. So that's really what I did. I went to Finland not to live there, but went to Finland for quite a lot in that first year. Did did rallies there with him, tried to help him the best I could to try to try and move forward. And then ultimately, the opportunity came back in 2017 to go back with Elvin again, and I felt it was too good an opportunity to miss because it's obviously what I kind of always wanted to do. So ultimately, I ended up going back. Yeah, but obviously that 2016 year kickstarted where you are now, effectively, which is sitting yeah, alongside yeah, sitting alongside Takamoto Katsuta. But how much has he changed from from the way he is now to what you saw in those early days back in 2016, where he was 
literally just getting going. Yeah, the, the change is uh, in, incredible. It's hard to actually describe, really, to be honest. You know, a, a, bit, a little bit like Fumio Nutara, sort of like 10, 12 years previous. You know, his English when he first came over was limited. Mm. Uh, he, he, he didn't, he'd had a lot of circuit experience background and clearly the, the, guy, the guy could actually drive, but he had no rally experience at all. So to, be, to the transition from circuit to rally, was massive for him and to be honest I, th I think it's taken him until last year to really fully get to grips with the transition yeah to be honest so yes it, it was interesting times and a big challenge just to try and get him to the end of a rally because he, he wanted to drive every corner like it was his last <laughs> just flat out but obviously there was you can't do that in rallying you have to respect certain conditions and changes of conditions and even what the pace notes say yeah. so we, we spent a lot of time trying to learn pace, the pace notes, improve his English, et cetera, et cetera, trying to get him to be more consistent. And it, it was challenging, but enjoyable as well, because when you saw a small, even a small improvement, you thought, oh, okay, yeah, he's going in the right direction to ultimately yeah. where, where he is today. It's incredible, isn't it? Because you look at some of his results from, from 2019, like results in Finland where, you know, he was winning events in Finland and then you, know, you, you take it to the world championship and he's, he's way off the market in some respects, but then on other rallies, he's, he's, he's closer. It was such an up and down thing because he was learning, I guess. And then you come right up to date now and, you know, you, you're looking at him at potentially being on, you know, the podium at the next event, that, that first podium for him in Kenya, just, you know, uh, a month month or two ago was was an exceptional result but what amazed me Dan in the the post-event press conference which we're missing co-drivers at at the moment I, I'm really missing you guys not being there we can't do it for social distancing at the moment you know he was although he was delighted with with his result you know he he wanted more you know he wanted more he wanted to be yeah, able to say yeah I'm, I can be on the top step of the podium and I want to be fighting against OJ at the at the next event that he has got a huge um a huge amount of spirit that that must be quite exciting to sit alongside but also i can imagine quite difficult to control in various situations yeah, as well yeah yeah I, th I think so i think so i think you know his his willingness to improve is is huge you know he is so keen to learn things about the car and driving style and pace notes etc and his willingness to win you know he's huge he, he comes from a you know, he's raced since a, a small kid of eight year old, I think. So all all he's known is racing and, and competing against people. So he wants to be better. He wants to get that next position, you know. So second's not good enough. That's just built inside him. So I think he's found it quite frustrating. Mm. Well, very frustrating at times where he's had to take experience over being able to drive fast how he actually wants to. To drive but I think ultimately that's now started to pay the rewards because by being patient let's say in the last 12 or 18 months a little bit on rallies has then enabled him to get some experience not a lot of experience but some experience of how to actually be faster more consistent without make, with, and making less mistakes so it was hard for him but I think now if you ask him he understands why it was like that in the beginning yeah I mean you've obviously had huge amount of experience alongside people who've sometimes been more experienced than you and then drivers who have been less experienced than you 
I mean, when you're in that situation where you're with a less experienced driver and you, you have to kind of show them the way, guide them the way, how, how hard is it not to lose your cool, Dan, I guess? I can't imagine you ever shouting, to be honest, but do you have to oh, get yeah. to the point where you, you, you're shouting at someone to, to get a point across? Or Yeah, I think, I think you would do. I think you have to be forceful at times, but fair. I think that's the thing, you know, you, you have to definitely, you have to get your opinion across if things, if things are not going well, but if you've got a strong opinion, something that you believe is right, you've also to be very fair with it as well. And then when, when, you know, the person then changes the situation around and, and does a good job on the back of something that you've basically said, you then have to not reward them, but, you know, say that, you know, yes, you've done a good job and yes, you're doing well. You know, it's, it, work, it works both ways. You know, you, yes, you do have to be forceful, but you've all sort of praise as well at the, the right sort of time. So it's, I think that's something I've learned over the years, really how to manage a little bit that kind of situation and be there for the driver a little bit when, when they need to, somebody to, to be there for, if you know what I mean. What's the most bizarre thing that's happened to you over the years then, Mr. Barrett? I mean, you've been in some pretty sticky situations over the years, <laughs> but what's the most bizarre thing that Rally has thrown at you? Bizarre. Or funny mm. or complex. Just the weirdest thing that you've ever had to deal with out there. Uh, I wasn't expecting a question like this. I think I've, I must have done too many rallies. I can't actually. <laughs> it is uh, a hard one to think of, I guess. Yeah, it's a hard one to think We've had quite a few, let's say, scrapes where we've had to, not necessarily in recent years because it's very, very different, but in the early years, you know, things where things had gone wrong on rallies and we ended up being in situations where we had to, like, slightly bend the rules to survive within the rally. So there's quite a few stories that I'm not going to go into today, <laughs> things that happened in the early, early, early years where, Maybe another suddenly 10 years' find, time, we'll come back to those, yeah? Yeah, <laughs> you, you, suddenly, you suddenly find things in the in a field or you met somebody that you, were, that you were lucky enough to bump into or you found a, a marshal that was your friend that offered you a time that maybe wasn't quite correct, you know, things like that. So there's been many, many, many things like that over the years, if you know what I mean, that maybe one day <laughs> I'll, I'll write about. <laughs> oh, Dan Barrett's memoirs. I can't wait for that. I can't wait for it. Um, in terms of the the here and now for you, you are alongside a driver who is is on the you know ascendancy in a, in a big way. Tacker's learning curve is just it's practically vertical at the moment. He's yeah, he's coming yeah. on so so quickly. I mean, where do you see him? You know, come the end of the year, going into next year, is is he at the point where he can start challenging for the championship next year, or is it that too early to say? No, I, I think maybe that's a little bit a little bit too early. I think he, for sure, I think he can challenge for the podium on on more rallies. Yeah. Uh, you know where 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 he's strong. I think he would agree. He still needs experience in some kind of situations, uh, changing conditions. Let's say within within a stage or within within a day. You know, there's things that you only gain with experience. So. He's not quite there yet on certain kind of situations, but I think he can he can definitely challenge for podiums on on a, on a more regular basis. And I think if things went right on the on that particular event, you know, there's nothing to say he can't challenge for the win. But to 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 put the pressure on 
tacker now or to say yes you can challenge for the championship in 2022 i think it, i think it's a, a a bit early to be honest to, to to challenge the top three or four guys because they're so you know so consistent on every surface and every on every rally on every stage every corner you know to, to yeah. be at that level of consistency is very very tough very tough but do you think he could be certainly challenging for the top step of the podium next year yeah, I think, like I say, on, cer- on, on certain events, you know, that he feels comfortable on and he's strong on, I, I, don't, I don't see why not, you know, I don't see why not. So what are you going to be doing while we're in Belgium? Obviously, we've got Keaton Williams stepping into your seat. Now, he's, he's tested yeah. with Taka before, that's right, yeah? Yes, yes, he has. He's done. We started to work with Keaton at the end of last year, beginning of this year, just, uh, you know, as, as a... As, as a bit of a backup, to be honest, in case any any anything like what's happened actually happened, then Taka had somebody to fall back on and knew Taka, knew the core drive, you know, knew the pace yeah. note system and how, and how everything worked. Just to, instead of doing something like, unfortunately, that's happened now to me, where you just have to take a completely new core drive that Taka didn't know. So, you know, Taka was quite conscious that he didn't want that to happen. So we started with Keaton, he's done, you know, quite a few tests now during the year so uh it's it's a big it's going to be a big step up for him but there's no that you know i don't see why it won't work and i'm sure you know he'll he'll, he'll do a he'll do a good job and i guess you know the, the times we're living in right now dan with covid as well you know if yeah. you know for, for whatever reason anyone gets that on event that things have to shuffle around or even pre-event then there has to be a backup doesn't there um, yeah, exactly. That was, you know, that was also part of the thinking, you know, we're living through this at the moment as, as everybody is. And, you know, it, it's quite easy to get caught up in that kind of situation. And, you know, if that happened a week before the rally, then obviously you can't go. So mm. we, we just thought that mo- moving forward, we, we needed some, ki- some kind of option, you know, as, as some of the other guys do as well. You know, it's not just ourselves, some of the other drivers have a similar kind of option, you know, as well. So it's just something that we, cho- we chose to do. And, you know, ultimately, it's come a bit too, a bit earlier than maybe any of us thought. But you know, that that's what that's why we did it. So, are you going to be able to watch during the event, or is that going to be a bit too much? Are you going to just concentrate on working at home and and doing stuff at home, or will you yeah. be able to watch what's yeah. going on? Yeah, no, I'm not. You know, I probably won't watch to be honest. Really, I'm not. not nothing to do with the the coverage or anything like that. It's just good. That Glad I, you I, I said that. <laughs> No, I don't. I don't think I'll watch. To be honest, I might watch some some of the stages, but I think you know I, I'm going to be there. You know, on 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 the phone for for Keaton at any time he needs, and you know Craig Parry, who's a good friend of Craig's, does the gravel notes yeah. uh, for us as well. So he'll be there. So I'll keep in contact with Craig and and Keaton during the weekend. But you know that I'll check check on the times. But I think to be honest, I'll keep a, a little a little bit of a distance. I think. I'm definitely going to miss the dulcet tones because out of all the co-drivers, I think your accent is my favourite. I have to say. It's, it's quite it's quite strong. Let's it's say. great. Never change it. Never change it. Uh, just a couple of things, though, on with not so much the accent, but <laughs> with the notes. Um, uh, we've I think your notes are probably the ones we talk about the most only because some odd words pop up in there sometimes we you know we had a huge kind of debate um maybe when we were in kenya as to what touch meant 
um, yeah, that, that, yeah. That, that kept coming up. So refresh our memories as to what touch. Yeah, what 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 we what what we what we've had to do is we've uh, created uh, words that Taka can easily understand. The simple words, not necessarily meaning what's actually happening on the road, reference the word, but just things that you can easily understand because to sometimes some of the English words take quite a lot of saying, as do some of Finnish words, which also has in there and Japanese words. So the, a word like touch just means it's a small cut effect, effectively. So okay. it's easier to say touch rather than small cut. It's one word, less mm. information for Taka to take in and you know just, just, just all around easier from my side also. And you've also got the word hammer in there as well, which yeah. is a Finnish yeah. word. No? Yeah, it's a yeah. Finnish word. Yeah, it's a Finnish it's a Finnish word. The the translation for English would be de deceptive. So the road doesn't right. look like what's actually going to happen. But obviously again, deceptive is quite a you know, deceptive, it's quite a long word, hard for him to understand where hammer is just a lot easier. Yeah, you know, I don't. I don't say. I don't say hammer correctly for sure. I don't, but it works for Taka, so that's so it's fine. <laughs> are there any other odd words in there that are maybe a different language uh, that creep in that we haven't noticed? There is. There will be. But to try and just think like that now, I'm not. Uh... Are there any Japanese words in there that you're using? No, 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 no Japanese okay. words. No, no, no. Japanese so it's either words. Finnish or English. Finnish or English, yeah, or or like or Lancashire, like <laughs> <laughs> Lancashire words. There's a few. There's a few Northern English words, I think, because I was joking with Taka the other day. He uses words in his normal speaking when he speaks English to everybody else, and he think he thought that the words that they were using in English were actual like Queen's English words. And I said, "No, you've picked those up purely from 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 me." You know, purely purely from me, it's, it's a, like a local dialect that I would use in the north of England. So he thought he was speaking Queen's English, but unfortunately, it wasn't. A bit of Lancastrian coming out. Exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> you're just trying to change him into one of yours. That's what you're exactly. doing. Um, in in comparison own. to um, you know, the amount of notes that you've read over the years, the different styles that you've read with the different drivers, you know how. How much of an influence have you had with Tacker's notes in in making them, let's say, more simple? Because I think sometimes when you know drivers come into the championship who've never really done rally before or are just young, they put way, way too much information in the notes, and yeah. it can, it can yeah. confuse them completely. How much have you helped to to simplify that, and what kind of style are his notes? Yeah, quite quite a lot, really. We've, we, it's an ever evolving process to be honest like this the word touch you know we're trying to always find words single syllable english words that would mean something to help him to not have to take as much in information on board so it's it, it's an on an ongoing process to be honest uh i think the, the notes themselves are, are relatively simple which he'd been through the full cycle like most drivers do he had lots of information and then it was difficult to understand so mm. the cars then became faster when he started to drive the wrc car so then he had to adapt himself to reduce words make it more simple because it was just difficult you know the transition from the r5 to the wrc car in the beginning it was actually quite impossible at times for him to take the information on board because he couldn't process what i was saying so that was yeah. kind of a turning point, really, where we had to sort of find, simplify the notes in certain situations. 
and, and find new words. And, and he's picked up, you know, he's picked up words off. He, he, he used a lot of, he watched a lot of onboard in the beginning when he started to take me from when I sat with Elvin. So he watched a lot of WRC plus of, of Elvin's pace notes. So he's picked up some of Elvin's words also that he's adapted into his own pace notes, like the word sharp, which is a word that, that Elvin used. Taka right. now uses twi twist is another word that Elvin uses and Taka uses in certain occasions as well. So, you know, he's, he's picked things up, I'd say primarily from, from Elvin's pace notes a little bit in some ways. Wow. Yeah, well, it's fascinating. The entire process is fascinating for me from a, you know, a driver who's come on board, who in English isn't his first language, he's still, still learning the language, but yet the pace notes are coming in in English and how he's honing them to, to work for him. I find it a completely fascinating process. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's good. You know, the progression with the notes has been massive over the over the, the last 12 months, you know, he's got, he's got good people around him now also, not just myself, but, you know, uh, he's got Craig, Craig Parry on the pace notes for the gravel crew. He's got a lot of experience also in rally, you know, Yuho Hanninen's now driving the, driving the gravel crew car and, and, and also helping tack around to, on an, on an event with, you know, the car and just generally his experience, you know, that's been a real big plus for tack this last six months I think it's really really helped his development just having mm. a few individuals around him that, it, that he trusts and he can you know use their experience to help develop him in, in a lot faster way than was maybe happening before. And what about your relationship with him then as we move to the end of, of this interview now I mean does he get your sense of humour Dan? <laughs> yeah I think he <laughs> I think most of the time, sometimes I say things to him and he says nothing at all for like five seconds. And then he, he actually realises what I've said. <laughs> and, and then, you know, he kind of would laugh about it. You know, I think sometimes some of the some of the sense of humour type things in English is sometimes quite difficult for him to understand. But, you know, he's getting he's getting there and, you know, he can, he can be he can be funny himself as well. You know, definitely, he's, you know, what you what you maybe see and sometimes on the TV is not is not you no. know he's a he's a really really nice guy you know a really kind person lovely family and you know just just a general all-round sort of like nice guy yeah no that that definitely does come across but you're right sometimes in interviews and everything people's character it doesn't come through on, on the tv what they are actually like but yeah Taka's a a nugget of gold certainly absolutely he is but so are you and finally now you know, you, your career is, is still going from strength to strength and long may we see you in the co-driving seat for many, many years. But have you even thought, and I'm sure you have because you're such an organised man and a forward thinker of if you didn't want to sit in the co-driving seat anymore, what, you know, what you would do from there? Would you still like to be involved in WRC within, you know, at team level? Uh, because the wealth of experience you have under your belt would be it would be a horror if you just decided to give up the co-driving seat and disappeared because you have so much to give. Yeah, no, I would, you know, would like whenever that, you know, when that day comes, you know, eventually, yeah, for sure, I'd like to stay involved. I think maybe a transition away from the co-driver seat into into still being involved in rallying to, to help the transition process to stop the actual core driving because that will obviously be quite a day the day that that eventually happens you know I've, it's all I've known for more than 20 years so that's kind of a day that I've thought about a lot I'm not particularly looking forward to it but ultimately it will happen at, at, at some point so you know I haven't really thought exactly about what I will do for the rest of my life no uh, I haven't got a massive answer yet but 
I wouldn't like to completely walk away from rallying and you know I would definitely the plan would be long long term would be to still be involved within rallying to go back to how it used to be when I first started just pu- purely for for fun yeah you know, I don't want to stop I don't want to stop with the core driving completely maybe maybe the top level you know won't be for me eventually let's say and but you know I have friends that want to go rallying and that in the future so I'd quite like to still you know do some events just just for the pure fun yeah no absolutely and wouldn't wouldn't they have some legendary co-driver beside them then you'd have to charge (laughs) the big bucks for that then well exactly just a few (laughs) a few pints of beer and a few packets of Chris that'd be fine yeah exactly (laughs) exactly Dan it's been absolutely lovely talking to you and talking about your career and everything and it does feel like you have been around for absolutely forever and I as I say I hope that continues on for many many years yet because I I need to keep listening to these notes coming out in this incredible accent needs to continue to happen absolutely uh have a good week at home while we're in Belgium and please do watch a little bit because you know I'm I'm working my butt off there, Dan. A bit of support would be nice. <laughs> I, will, I will. To be honest, I, I, will, I will end up watching. You know, I need to keep an eye on Taka, you know, and obviously like Elvin to do well as well. So, you know, definitely I'll be sort of like following those two and, and seeing, seeing how they're getting on. All right, mate. Well, I'll let you go now. I know you're a, you're a busy man at home. So uh, enjoy the time and we will see you back at the iconic Acropolis Rally of Greece in a few weeks' time. Get ready for the heat. I will do. Thank you. I look forward Thanks. to it. Cheers, Dan. Cheers, bye-bye. Bye-bye. For more great WRC content, head to WRC Plus. For thousands of hours of archive footage, from end-of-season reviews and onboards, to features on some of the legends of WRC, that is wrcplus.com, the home of WRC action.